You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Limit Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today on the show, I have returning guest Robbie Smith, the sporting art director at Leland and Little Auction. Welcome to the show, Robbie. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Yeah. This is great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, you're my first show of the new year, so. Very cool. It's been, I guess, two years since we did this. I thought it was only a year, and then when I was looking up all this, like, the stuff from before... It's been two years, so a lot has happened in two years. A lot has happened, no question. When did you start at Leland Little? Like, when when did that position start? Was it right before then? Yeah, it was right around that same time. Okay. So this the sale that we're going to have February, March, will be the two-year anniversary. Okay, and that'll be your third sale? No, this will be our sixth Oh, yeah, because you do two a year. We do three a year. Three a year. So I think you had, we're getting ready for your first sale the last time we talked. Yeah, that was kind of like a blind man walking through the woods. It was, you know, it was all new to me. That's I've always like been a, being this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I've always been a collector of decoys, but then, you know, trying to create a catalog and, and learn about decoys from other areas, that was, yeah. it was it was a challenge, but a lot of fun. I had a lot of help, and that's that was good. Well, that's the kind of the name of the game is getting a lot of help. That's right. Mentors and friendships is a, is a good thing. Yes. So I want to know... Because since you've started that position and obviously like the research that goes into those birds and things like that, you've done these, um, since I've talked to you, you did like these little videos with Croggy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one, I know with Howard Johnson um, and a few others. And through that process, what has changed for you in that regard from where you like kind of your beliefs and your act of collecting it before you got into this? There's not been a big change as far as my belief. Most people tend to be regional collectors. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been a collector of North Carolina decoys. I have some Virginia birds now. But every auction that we do, we try to create like a 10 to 15 minute film that's going to honor some part of the event that we're hosting. Okay. You know, the last video we did was about fly fishing up in the mountains of North Carolina. We sold some neat you know, fly rods and reels and that type thing. The video that we're going to make this time is going to be about Chincoteague, Virginia, because we have some killer Virginia birds. Ira Hudson, Dave Umbrella Watson, Doug Jester, Doug Jester Jr. So we're going to make a film that will honor the carvers from that area, the heritage, and the art form. 
because you tend to find that, like when I first started collecting, I collected based, you know, based on the region. You right. know, I wanted a Ned Burgess decoy. But then you start learning about the, the person, you know, where were they from? Why did they do what they did? Were they market hunters? What was their profession? It brings so much more to life. Yeah. Has it changed your interest in decoys at all? Oh, yeah. No question. Yeah. No doubt about how, it. How so? Well, I, you know, at, at one time, I wanted all the decoys I can get. I was all about, qu- you know, quantity. You know, if I were to go to somebody's house, I would try to buy everything they had. Now I try to focus more on the art form. I want the best example I can get. Um, I want to learn everything about the person. Like we have a really cool Ira Hudson flying redhead decoy that's going to that's gonna come out. And you see this incredible piece of art that he created, but he could barely read. He could barely write. He was a very, uh, he was not a wealthy person. You know, he was week to week. And then you learn about his children. And, you know, this guy is regarded as one of the greatest artists, sporting artists in, in, in the world. And he, he had no clue. He, 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 would, he would freak out if he knew what kind of money his decoys bring today, that he's published in books, that he's talked about on a Ducks Unlimited podcast. You know, he wouldn't know what a podcast was. Let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it has changed. And then I also want to know, like, so you've, I mean, you were collecting for many years before you started doing this. And now instead of just being a collector yourself, you're helping other collectors acquire decoys. What have you learned from that switch in your role in the world of collecting decoys? Because most people are either going in as, you know, not many people are already, were collectors for a long time before they became into the auction market. It's usually, most people are kind of almost born into the auction market. You know, th- there's really two ways to look at this. One from the collector, the other from the consigner. The thing I think that's hit home to me is that these decoys that we collect, at one time I was all about owning these decoys. I, I, want, I want to own these. The reality is we're caretakers of them. Right. These items are going to last a lot longer than... I will, or mm-hmm. any other collector. So you, you find, like I was at a house yesterday over in Knott's Island. The gentleman was having a difficult time letting go of his decoys. And, and I was like, you know, basically you've done a great job. You've owned these decoys for 40 or 50 years. You've done a great job of protecting them. You, you provide provenance. You have learned about these makers and you can provide that information to the next person. And now it's time to, if you feel right about it, it's now it's time to let somebody else be the caretaker of them. Right. Who's going to love them and who's going to take them to museums, who is going to speak about them at decoy club gatherings, that type of thing. Right. And, you know, it's all about building that community. And that's what we're trying to do with the Leland Little Sporting Art Fair, build that community. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're honest, most people's children aren't, going to be interested in their decoys right um it tends to and then they're instead of having any um control over those sell of those decoys if they could while they're alive then they're kind of like letting that go which can be a little like nerve-wracking because they've done this research and stuff for these decoys a lot of the time and if they're not careful when they go to the next generation that that research and the decoy itself can get separated 
and uh, more often than not. And then they lose that really important um, research aspect of it that they spent a lot of their spare time doing. Yeah, and that's one good thing about Croggy, and he has he documents every decoy he has. If he consigns a decoy to an auction or if he sells it privately, he passes on the provenance, the written provenance, who he got it from, where they got it from. He provides a bio of the of the decoy carver. And it's it's real important. The the other thing I find too is the, the days of these massive collections, yeah. people that have 500, 1,000 decoys, those days I think are going away. Mm-hmm. Um, people are tending to collect fewer birds, but much better decoys. So I think you're going to see the value of really good decoys continue to increase. And I think you're going to see the value of your everyday decoy either maintain or potentially go down in value just because the, the collector demographic is, is changing. So is there more collectors, do you think, in, because of that? No, no question. Definitely more collectors. You know, the, the Southern Decoy page on Facebook is something I manage, and we have almost 6,000 members. Is it up to 6,000 now? I think it was like 3,000 last time we talked. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, I approved three more people this morning. And then, you know, Lee Little, the auction that we last had, we had almost 200 brand new bidders. These are bidders that have never bid on any Lee Little auction uh, before. What is your demographic as an in-person versus like the phone versus online? Like what are you, what are your splits for that for Leland Little? Yeah, so we're primarily an online auction. But they are in general, Leland and Little in general is online, right? For their other stuff as well. It, it, it is. Yeah, Leland Little will have a, it, like an in-person auction for signature type sales. But, but you find that people now, instead of coming to an auction, they, they, you know, they're now coming to functions. Could be a club meeting. Like here at the gallery today, there's a group uh, meeting. It's a book club, and they're learning about furniture. You know, we're going to have the sporting art fair where people can come and see the decoys, learn. There'll be there'll be a presentation. There's going to be all kind of things for people to do, from kids all the way to you know to, to older folks. Right. So, yeah. So 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 basically, we find that the online process. Uh, works good. People can bid, you know, two weeks up until the auction. And then the online auction is a live auction concept, meaning when item number 10 goes off, you know, every 15 seconds it resets until somebody quits bidding. And it's it's a fun and exciting. Yeah. Though it can jump really fast and all of a sudden be over with if you're exactly. not, not doing great. <laughs> right, right. So you yeah. got to be careful. Make sure you yeah. have good internet. But but we but we will phone bid and people will leave a bid as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And how many lots do y'all have in your upcoming? Has your lot changed as over your last six auctions? Are y'all getting more or is it? Yeah, we're, we're getting more. I remember the first auction we had 165 lots, and and I was literally calling friends. Please, can you consign something? I was begging, and now we're we're having to turn things away. Um, so we'll have. This next auction, we'll have a little bit over 300 lots. And the quality of the of those and would it's be... it's still a lot less than the bigger auction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Abs- it's about absolutely. half of what they're doing. So. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the larger auctions, the two larger auction houses, typically will have a two-day sale, and they may have 300 lots per day. And we may get there at some point, but I, I doubt it. I like the size of what we're doing. Yeah. 
And it's also not your main focus. Right. Like, I mean, Leland Little has a much broader focus than these other. That's exactly right. Yeah. Each here at Leland Little, there, you have several different, you have different departments and you have a director with a core competency. And it's, it's so it's a, it's a lot of small businesses under one umbrella. It's, it's, it's a good concept. Yeah. I'm going to change the subject because you said something earlier and it made me think of something. Okay. You're talking about caretaking and being a caretaker of mm -hmm. decoys. And one of the things as a museum background person that when I came into decoy collecting and around all these collectors, has your handling of decoys changed at all? Do y'all, are you more careful? Are y'all more cognizant of how you're handling these older objects? No question. <laughs> you know, because at one time, it's just we're handling a dock. Yeah. But, but, but now it's like, you know, you put your hand on the bottom, lift it up by the body, don't grab it by the head. Right. Um. You know, don't put stickers on the decoy <laughs> because they could they could take paint off of it. Exactly. You know, you have to preserve, you know, the paint. Yeah, you're still in the minority, though. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you have to. It's you know, not only are they antiquities, yeah, but they are important pieces of, of art. Yeah, that's like one of the craziest. So I still have to tell even my staff at the museum. I'm like, we'll be installing things. I'm like, yeah, when they leave, we'll wear gloves and do all the things that right. we're trained to do. But when they're here, we just follow their lead because they're the owner. Right. But I've noticed also like at shows, you're not allowed to handle them as much as you used to. Um, they've kind of made people step back on letting them handle the decoys as much. Yeah, but a lot of these shows, they get crowded. Yes. And, you know, you're looking at expensive decoys in tight spaces. With glasses and people, of wine. Ex that's exactly right. People will grab a decoy and they'll not put it back correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, here at Lean Little, when we have the sporting art fair, we have a 20,000 square foot gallery. Okay. And people, you know, there's going to be room for people to spread out. Yeah. You know, decoys will be presented on hunt boards or nice pieces of furniture. They're not going to be on uh, Big fold-out tables and racks. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, it makes sense to me. Like, I, I get that there needs to be a little bit of both. Like, you need to be able to handle the decoy, to look at the decoy, look at the whole decoy before if you're considering purchasing. But yeah. then again, like, having those big auctions, there's so many people in the room and they're drinking, and I'm like, it just makes me nervous. Oh, yeah. There have been a couple times I'm like, oh, God, don't, yeah. don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. It's very different environment than when I was learned in. Like everything was always so precious and right. you never handled. I mean, they've changed a lot about handling in general, but I just, when I came into the, de into the decoys, I was like, what are they doing? And I had to learn to just kind of follow everyone's lead and do what I've do what everybody else is doing. But, but the, the, uh, the other funny thing is when somebody comes to my house yeah. or, or my office and they're like, oh, that's a, look at this cute little duck. I'm like, it's, it's not cute. It's not little, just, you know. It's like when people call me a jogger. I get really upset about <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm like, no, I run. That's right. You're, you're def you are definitely a runner. No question. So one of the things about doing the podcast is I get to talk to guys like you that I already know and, you know, Colin and John and Cameron, like all these people I already have um, relationships outside of the podcast with. Mm -hmm. And by doing the podcast, I get to learn more about these individuals. And I want to know what that's been like for you doing these videos and stories on collectors or even carvers, you know, like how has that experience been you like kind of getting to take it? more in-depth look at someone you already actually know. Well, yeah. I mean, and that, that's the fun of this because mm -hmm. I've 
I've been hunting with some of these people. I've been hunting with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cameron McIntyre, in my opinion, is one of the finest living decoy makers. And he's he's become a good friend. Matter of fact, we both had skin cancer taken off our nose at the same time. So oh, we I didn't were able realize to, that. Yeah, we were able to commiserate about that. Uh, you know, he does not go buy his groceries at a grocery store. No. You know, he and he hasn't done that in a long time. So I have a lot of respect for his lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to go hunting with Croggy next weekend. You know, and, and, and you get to know their wives and you get to know their pets. And they become, in a sense, part of part of an extended family. And it's, it's great. You know, I told my dad somewhat recently that when I first started doing this, it was all about the decoys. And now... It's more about the whole the people that you meet. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I was up I was up in Virginia the past two days, seeing people that started off as friends, and now we used to shake hands, and now we hug. Yeah. You know, it's 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 cool. Yeah, no, that's definitely I I agree with that a hundred percent. It's um, it's been kind of a blessing that that gets to be what we do for work. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> ne- never in my wildest dreams. Did I ever think I'd be doing this? No, me neither. Is there any carvers also that while you've been, or just decoys in general, that you weren't interested in or maybe even had a negative opinion, like you didn't really like them, but now that you've had to go into them more for, say, you're selling them or researching them for something else that you've changed your opinion on? Well, it would probably be Virginia carvers. Okay. You know, we have always, in North Carolina, we have always looked at decoys as sculpture and form. No, but nobody except Mitchell Fulcher could really provide good paint to a decoy. Yeah. But then you go to Virginia and they don't really care so much about form as, as they do the paint. So you look at a Doug Jester paint, mm-hmm. painted decoy, an Ira Hudson, Dave Umbrella Watson, phenomenal carver. Um, I just bought a, a, one of his decoys recently. It's the last decoy I picked up. Um, and he's from Chincoteague. Yeah. So that's cool. One other fun thing that, so I, I get a phone call maybe two months ago, and the family said, we purchased this house in Chincoteague, and up in the attic, there's a bunch of Doug Jester decoys. Hmm. So I'm like, oh, this is this is great. So we meet at a halfway point, and they start taking these decoys out of the back of this minivan. And I'm like, these are not Doug Jester decoys, but they're cool, and they're Doug Jester-esque. Right, and, and then there was a decoy that um, Roe Terry made, and he gave it to Doug Jester, Captain Doug Jester, for Christmas, December twenty fifth, nineteen eighty one. So I'm like, man. So I call some very knowledgeable Virginia collectors. Right. You know, was there a Doug Jester Junior? Nope, never heard of one. Never heard of him. Then I call Roe, and Roe calls me back, and he said there was a Doug Jester Junior. He was my mentor. He was like a father to me. Hmm. He taught me how to carve. Uh, his, you, you know, he never really advertised that he carved. He was more of a waterman, messed with oysters and clams and crabbing and that type of thing. So it's really cool in a sense that we were able to discover that Doug Jester Jr. carved yeah, that decoys. Is, that's cool. We're going to offer them at the next sporting art, you know, sale. And I have no clue what they're going to do because I've never seen one for sale. Right. I wonder how many people have a Doug Jester Jr. now that didn't realize they had one. And they think maybe it was a Doug Jester Sr. Correct. Yeah. And so was he carving just for his personal use for the most part? Do you know? 
Yeah, according to Roe, he typically carved decoys and gave them away as gifts. Okay, yeah. He was not a commercial decoy maker. Right, yeah, he was just kind of cheap Christmas gifts. Exactly, but I tell you, they have cool paint on them. They're kind of funky. It's it's like the kind of paint you would find at a Grateful Dead concert or watch Red Panda concert. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I like them. It has a neat style to it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I like stories like that. Like, It's also really neat that we can still find new carvers out there. We can still reattach, you know, provenance to, de to decoys that we didn't know. Like, that's still happening. It doesn't happen as often, but it right. is still happening. And it's it's rare, but it happens. And, and I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. It, 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 it definitely will not. No. And hopefully at one point we'll get even better with technology and we can really start figuring some stuff out. But we'll see. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's, this is a good time to take a break. We'll be right back. your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome back, everybody. So what I want to talk to you, the main thing I want to talk to you today is this is y'all's second year for the Sporting Art Fair, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah, actually, we're entering our third year. You're entering a third year. But okay. we've had two two complete years. Okay. The first year, what was that? What did it look like? So the first year we had a, the first lot or the first auction, we had a, we had 165 lots and it was all decoys. Okay. And did you have all the events that go around it that year or did? Nope. And then last year, I'm guessing, was like, less than this year because you have a lot going on this year yeah we have a lot going on this year so we had the sporting art fair last year but it happened right before the building the new gallery was completed okay so you know the weather got a little weird but we were able to have some stuff inside but there was no furniture there was no there was no paint right the the floor was concrete now it's carpet and hardwood floors very nice it's this gallery here uh, emulates the North Carolina Museum of, of Art. Okay. So whether we're selling a decoy, a piece of pottery, it will be presented to the audience as art. And to be honest with you, th that was my motivation to work this project with Leland is because a lot of the Southern decoys, you, you, they're hard to find, and they didn't seem to have the respect on a national level mm -hmm. that a lot of the other decoys did. So I told Leland if we can bring honor in respect to the North Carolina decoys, this this could be a good thing. And that is changing. I mean, no question. Get off the subject, but you can tell, and not in just Jaws auction, but in the other two, Guy and Dieter and Copley, the North Carolina decoys are kind of blowing up. The prices have gone up a lot, and like just in my short time of being involved in this. Yeah, it's good to see. The only downside is is that I should have been doing this ten years or twenty years ago, and not you know. I entered into this thing a little late. Well, it's fine. But it's, it's, uh, it's good. Well, see, it's good, though, in that you were able to collect quite a few decoys before yep. they got to be real pricey. Yeah. So, I mean, if 
you started collecting now, you'd have a much different situation. Exactly. I, I probably cannot afford some of the decoys I own today. Yeah. At today's, you know, I just couldn't have, couldn't afford it. Yeah. So, see, it worked out. So yeah. you have to take some, take part that's good with the bad. The blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Exactly. So, <laughs> so the date of this is February 25th, right? Correct. And it's in, where are y'all located? Not You're not in Durham. You're in Hills. Uh, Hill, yeah, we're in Hillsboro, North Carolina, which is halfway between Durham and Chapel Hill. Okay. And it's going to be like an all-day event, like one All-day event. Okay. Yep. It's going to be, we, we want this to be a community event, not just a duck decoy gathering, but something for everybody. We're going to have fly fishing demonstrations. There will be oysters. There's going to be barbecue. Um, Red Oak Brewery is going to provide beer. So I'll, I'll buy you beer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, and then you'll have your March, your early March auction will be on preview, correct? Mm -hmm. It'll be, be on preview. People can look and, and handle the decoys. There's uh, Bob Timberlake, who's a good friend of ours. He created these two line drawings of decoys. So we're going to reproduce those, have a lot of crayons, so kids can color. So I'll send some of those back with you. Yeah, we'll definitely use those. Yeah. yeah, that'll be cool. So is he going to have art on display as well? Probably not. Yeah. This is, um, you know, we will have art on display. We will be selling flat art that's sporting related. So we'll have that on display. There's going to be a featured decoy carver. That's Chandler Sawyer. Okay. We're going to have a featured artist. His name is Wiley Coleman. Okay. And he's, I don't know he's, a, he's phenomenal. Typically does um, oil and acrylics on, on canvas but just a phenomenal, phenomenal artist. And is he based out of North Carolina or is... Mm -hmm. he, he's, he's based in Raleigh. Okay. Is it mostly waterfowl or does he kind of do a little bit of everything sporting art related? A little bit of everything. Some of his scenes are quill hunting, uh, could be fly fishing in Charleston or in the Keys. Okay. Uh, but he, the sky that he creates... The clouds, it's it's like you, you're there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. And then you have an exhibit there as well, right? Like that's separate from your auction. Mm -hmm. So what will you have for on display for you, the exhibit? Well, actually, we have an exhibit right now at Duke University. Okay. And there's four cases there. There's a case of shorebirds. Okay. There's, there's a case that's called The Art of the Decoy, where you have some fine or what I would call fine art or sculpture-esque decoys, mm -hmm. James Best, Lee Dudley, okay. Mitchell Fulcher. The very North Carolina, yeah. Sculpture. Exactly. But then you find in the same case, primitive decoys, root heads, mm -hmm. kind of funky paint, that type thing. So the guests can see the contrast right. of, of the art of the decoy. Some are just like, wow, look how great that is. And the others are like, man, that's kind of freaky looking. It has root head and yeah. twisted and gnarly and that type. Well, of you thing. do in North Carolina. You get this like you either get this really sculptural like art. Like I mean, it's almost like did they even hunt over it kind of decoy. Exactly. And then you get this very like organic, yeah, root head decoy that's yeah. heavy and yeah, very like functional. Yep. So you get these very two different styles that come out of the one area. Which is really interesting. Yeah. And I don't know which one I like better. Sometimes I, I like to say I like the Lee Dudley stuff better, but I kind of like the more organic looking stuff. I, I, I do too. You know, give me a root head decoy from Ocracode or Late Man of Mesquite. And it's just awesome. It, it comes alive. Yeah. And it's something about like the way that I like the engineering of it that they are like, let's just do it this way. This is easy. We can do a bunch of these this way. Like, you know that they thought about right. it. 
enough to think like we can make a lot of these economically and also look good at the same time. It was much more into right. like creating a piece of art. This is like they had to like think about how they were going to get a lot of decoys and then the best like you know the cheapest amount they can do and but also look like the the bird they're after. It's oh yeah yeah. Yeah, Percy Carawan, he would go out into the swamps of Hyde County, Lake Matamuskeet, and he'd get these black gum roots. Yeah. And then he'd take them home. He would soak them in water. And then he would, um, the next day, he would nail them to a, a juniper body just and just fasten out the head. And there's not much to them, but they are wonderful. Great sculpture. Yeah. I, have, I have two of them at my house, and I wouldn't take anything for them. How did he know where he was going to go in the swamp? Do you know did he tell you? No, he's he's been long gone. But, like, I mean, do uh, they like? Does anyone know like how he chose where he would go look for him and stuff like that? I just curious. Have no clue. Yeah, that's part part of the mystery of this. I know that's really curious. I also want to know like why Lee Dudley made and it's hard to do because this is a podcast, so you can't see. But there's the heads are so thin. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would you make them that thin? Like, what was his? What was his? I want to know what he was thinking when he was doing. Yes. Yeah, so, so some of the earlier decoys pre nineteen hundred and Lee Dudley operated. Yeah. You know, made a lot of his birds in the eighteen nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be smaller. And then when market hunting became really prominent, they made bigger decoys right. and, and they would hunt on the open waters. But yeah, Lee Dudley, a lot of his heads and bills broke. So very rarely we find a Lee Dudley right. with that's 100% intact. Very, very, I mean, yeah. I mean this it almost makes sense because they're so thin, like you couldn't really throw them around at all. They would have broken. Yep, yep, they'll, they'll, they'll break. Whereas like, oh, I just lost his name, but the other guy that did the ruddies and... What's his name? Have I right? Yes, but his have a little bit chunkierness to him, so they feel like they may have survived a little bit more. But they're very sculptural as well. Yep, his necks are thick. His bills are very, very thick. Uh, bodies are bold, kind of bulbous, and yeah, you find a lot of those structurally intact. Yeah, and but they're still like, I mean, arguably, they're still extremely sculptural. And no, no question. Artist, he's yeah. yeah, he's top five North Carolina carver without a doubt. Though people get really upset if you say anyone over Lee Dudley. <laughs> Yeah, James. In my opinion, James Best. Yeah, and yeah. J- oh yeah, I forget about James Best too. Yeah, he does the same thing. He makes those thin heads as well. Mm-hmm. So, did they break as, in the same way? They would. He would make higher head, typically higher yeah. head decoys, and yeah, a lot of them would break as well. Yeah. And in North Carolina, to have a decoy with a cracked neck, uh, that's completely that's, acceptable. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, where some of the other regions, that's not good. Do you find that they're often? Do they have repairs more often than not, or no? Mm-hmm. They, they will, yeah. And depending, does does that affect their value depending on like how the repair was done, or in some cases it can help the value. If it can. yep, some some sometimes they would take um, copper um, metal strips mm-hmm. and or tin metal strips and nail them up and down the side, and that adds just a neat. It, it adds to the story of the decoy. Right, that's interesting. Yeah. It's so nuanced between different areas of decoys where like, and we've talked about this before, but, and I don't know what it's like for Virginia area, but like, let's say like, you know, Massachusetts, um, the East Coast. For repairs and things in that area, they want pristine birds. But you go to somewhere else and you're saying in this, it can almost, depending on how they restored it, it can add value. It can, Um, yeah. Which is interesting. So like, is it the same for Virginia birds or is it different? Are you wanting for more pristine? Is that because 
they are chunkier decoys, so you'd find them less often broken. Like, well, yes. Yeah, so, so like a Virginia bird or Massachusetts bird, they they want really good paint. Right. So you want to make sure it's original paint and it's not correct. Yeah. Yeah, but but you also find that there's more restoration work done to decoys from those areas. Okay. You know, we have a great uh, Virginia bird here. It's that Ira Hudson redhead I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. A North Carolina collector would have this, and they would love the surface. They would love all the little cracks and age checks and nuances, you know, that show the history of the bird. Right. But a northern collector would probably take this exact same decoy and maybe have the paint strengthened in this one area. They may have this crack filled in over here. Yeah. I am I'm talking talking to Gigi Hopkins soon. Yeah. I met her mm -hmm. actually and I just found her fascinating. But she restored a lot of these birds and has right. for many years. And I can't wait to speak with her to talk like more about what she would restore, why she would restore it. Like mm -hmm. and because I find that to be so I mean, I don't collect, so I don't have to think about it as much, but confusing. Does that make sense? Like, what is okay mm -hmm, right. restoration? What is not okay restoration? What is, why is it sometimes acceptable just to leave it as is, whereas if you would restore it? Uh, like, I find a lot of the shorebirds tend to have, like, they, the idea is that, that you would restore it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that that takes place. You don't find so much of that here in North Carolina. Right. Um, I, I've probably, I think I've had four decoys restored. Um, one was I had an Alvin Harris pintail where the tail was chewed off by a beagle. Yeah. So I had I had that fixed. You know, I had two dead Burgess decoys that had bad neck cracks. Yeah. And I had those fixed, but everything else was, um, you know, I've, I've just left as is. You know, I, I, I like the cracks and I like the, you know, I have a, a root head goose from Ocracoder and it has all kinds of splits in the neck. Yeah. And I've had people come by the house, you know, you can you can get that fixed. You can have those cracks tightened. I'm like, no, this is, it adds to me to the to the bird. Yeah, so you just say it's like a personal collector's opinion on what you would do in those situations. Like, that's yeah. up to you. Yeah. I have a close friend who just had a award, a cleaning lady knocked it off the shelf Ooh. and yeah. <laughs> get the bill off. I was like, well, you got to put the bill back on. You, you got to fix the bill at that point. Yeah, but. And fire the cleaning lady. Yeah, cleaning lady's got to be the worst <laughs> thing for decoys. Right. Cleaning, they always are after them. Cleaning ladies and dogs, apparently. Yeah. And but, cats. And cats, yes. But yeah, so that's interesting. So because we're a DU audience, I don't know much about the DU auction for the Sporting Art Fair, but what does that include? And what was the thought behind that and adding that to the event? Yeah, so last Sporting Art Fair, we had, I think there were probably three decoys and two experiences that we auctioned off to benefit Ducks Unlimited. The Decoy Carver Skilled, they provided two decoys and they donated those. Um, and they were sold. There was one older decoy. I can't remember who donated that, but it was sold. And then there's a outfit called Set Fly Fishing. And they donated a trip to Argentina. And and then um, I donated a trip to hunt with quail with old Parker shotguns. Okay. And a good a good buddy of mine bought that. We had a great time. And we just agreed yesterday that we're going to go hunt again first part of February. Yeah. And he's going to pay the bill. So it's so that was it, it was all good. That worked and out for you. It did. But but, but we we raised. Um, you know, Henry Kidd is a good friend. Right. He's, he's here in Raleigh. He's a DU. Member he's a DU and volunteer. Yeah, and just a big decoy collector. So we wanted to, you know, honor Ducks Unlimited. They provide a lot of conservation efforts here, 
and a lot of and a lot of the members are, are decoy collectors. Do you think your audience was more decoy collectors after that, or just general attendees? How do you think that are Ducks Unlimited members? Like, how did they do, and who was your audience going after those decoys? Because I would like to do more of. I think we should do more. At least supporting carvers and, you know, doing less reproductions and more original work would a- be. Amen. Preach. Keep preaching that. But how did it do? I don't know how it would do. Like That's what I, I worry about is would it still do well? I, I think it would do well. You, you always probably find. regionally, too. It's probably more of a regional thing. It's definitely going to be more of a regional effort. But you find that anybody who hunts, they're going to have a heart for conservation to some degree. Right. If you if you carve decoys, you know, you're inherently going to want to involve their craft, their art into that process of conservation. So if you could have an auction, I don't care where it is, it could be your small hometown, it could be Memphis, Tennessee, but when you have a DU event, if you could have real decoys being sold at auction or raffled, it's going to bring so much more value, I think, than a resin reproduction that was made in wherever. Yeah. So my question is, because it's not always evident. I mean, there are a few carvers we've talked to out on here. We've interviewed them. And it's really, it's very regional, like if you Mm -hmm. even have carvers near you. But if you were, say, putting together a DU event and you wanted to include, you know, original decoys, how would you even go about Finding those. Because, I mean, a lot of these people don't even do that. And I think, you know, there's another added point to that is if you have an event, so many people have not seen a decoy, like, chopped out or um, how they're formed. And we've talked about that. And it's amazing if you can watch it. It's it's almost hypnotizing watching them take that block of wood and then make a duck. But that's also something that, can be involved. People are happy to like promote themselves at events because then they'll get orders from that in the future. Yep. So it's advertising for the carver as well. So do you have any advice on for like people organizing events, going and finding those people um, in your area? And what would be the main areas that those people, I guess it's mostly the East Coast, but I would think there'd also be like Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, find, you know, I think Ducks Unlimited needs to invest themselves in the the community as far as who's producing what to, you know. And that really goes down to the individual chapters. Like that's absolutely. So that's going down to our volunteer chapters that are out. That's right. And there's work involved. You know, like in North Carolina, we have a decoy carvers guild. So that's 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 an easy easy phone call to make. But but where you are in Tennessee, Mississippi, Illinois, you may not have a lot of decoy makers, but you have a lot of duck call makers, and and get those guys. Um, you know they're, you know, in the Midwest, duck call collecting is as rabid as decoys oh, yeah. are here. Yeah, yeah, and it's getting but bigger like, and bigger. Yeah, but you know, NC State they have a student duck, ducks unlimited chapter. Uh, it's a one very of the guys, big and successful. Oh, it's great, and, and one of one of the uh, one of the volunteers, one of the leaders called me up and said, hey, Robbie, you know, can we get a old decoy? We yeah. have some guys that have donated new decoys, and they'll make red, you know, because NC State, it's a, you know, their colors are red, black, and white. So they get redheads, 
So I, I, I'm a Carolina Tar Heel guy. So just for fun, I donated a old blue bill. <laughs> I said, you, you get a Carolina blue bill. You know, but but it, it sold it. I mean, it brought, I think, $800. Yeah. You know, and it was a, I was so happy to see that. So before we move on, um, do you have anything you want to say about like the sporting fair that we didn't mention? Any details or anything like that to help people find it? Yeah. So Lee Little, the gallery is right off of I-85. It's easy to get to. You know, it's going to be a comfortable setting. There's going to, we want everybody to be here. We want kids, wives, husbands, brothers, sisters, Everybody, there's going to be decoys displayed as art. There'll be tailgating out in the parking lot. So if you have uh, decoys you want to sell, bring them, drop your tailgate. There's going to be food. There'll be oysters and barbecue. There'll be coloring for the kids. There'll be fly rod casting demonstrations. So if you've ever wanted to learn how to cast, cast a fly rod, you can do it. There's going to be shotguns. There's going to be fine double guns, hunting rifles, you know, there's going to be something for everybody. And we want this to grow year in, year out. Then we want every year, I'm coming to the Lean Little Sporting Art Fair. I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. Permanently put it on the calendar. Yeah. And and, I'm, and we're glad you're coming. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't been over there. So that's a part of North Carolina. I haven't visited. It's a great part. Oh, before you go, how's your duck season going? I, I meant to start with that, but I haven't. Yeah. So I've been I've been out twice. I was supposed to have gone this week, but we had a, a car breakdown in the family, so I had Ugh. to kind of reroute that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go hunting with Croggy next week. But the hunting has been better this year than it has been the past two years. Oh, good. Yeah. How about you guys? Uh, it's been all right. I had a good weekend. Um, we took these guys from Halo Hunting okay. for DU uh, Nation, like filming. Um, I'm not a real big fan of doing the filming hunting, yeah, but it was actually right. pretty good and uh, got a bunch of mallards and and that was a really good morning. And the second morning was, it's kind of weird. down here, we're having this issue where like we just, there's not enough ducks in the country. I mean, it's still okay, but like we need all week to build it up yeah. and then we shoot it out in two days and then it's got to rebuild. There's just... Arkansas right now is just covered in water. So they're having the opposite problem of us. There's like too much water. But in the Mississippi Delta, we don't have nearly as much water. So there's just not that many places for them to go. And we just don't have nearly as many ducks. And the weather's been crazy. I don't know about you, but we've it's gone from we had some negative four days. And then we had, it was like 70. Yeah, you, were, you go from, look like an Eskimo to wearing your bathing suit. So, yeah, you know. exactly. And then you're back to like, like so we had that hunt last weekend. We had 30 degree mornings, which was perfect. You That's know, perfect. like right yeah. at 35, right above freezing. And then it went back up to 60 on the weekend. So I went home and then it's about that now. And hopefully it'll be back down again. So, well, all right. Well, it's good to talk to you. Katie, good talking to you. Uh, is there anything you want to add or talk about before we go? No, I think it's about it. I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy with what you're doing. You know, DU's always been a leader in conservation. And now you're a leader in preservation of the heritage oh, of you. waterfowling and decoys. I do have a question before you go, because we talked about the auction a little bit. Uh, are there any highlights that you want to like mention that are in the upcoming auction? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we have a we have an early uh, egret decoy 
from Harker's Island, pre-1900. This house was being remodeled years ago, and they found the decoy hidden in the wall. Yeah, that's crazy. Hidden in the wall. Hidden in the wall. So how did they find, they like remodeling and then found it? And found it, yeah. And they didn't smash it up? Didn't smash it up. That's nope. amazing. Yeah, but it it should do well. It's an incredible piece. Yeah. Did you yeah, put it on your piece. Instagram the other day? I did. Yeah. It's I did. like perfect. Yeah, it's great. It's at Duke. The, the fun, the funny story behind this is it was the family, the Guthrie family, found it in the home that they're remodeling it. Sold it to Roy Willis. This is probably thirty-five years ago. Yeah. Roy Willis was a, you know, he was a trailblazing collector from Carteret County. And he would collect decoys, he would sell decoys and buy them, trade them, that type of thing. Yeah. So Croggy wanted to buy it. Another collector wanted to buy it. The price got up extremely high. So they flipped a coin and Croggy won the right to buy the decoy. And he's consigning it to us. Okay. Yeah, we have some really, really nice uh, Virginia decoys at Ira Hudson Flyer. Some nice, some incredible Currituck decoys. How do you have, is it all online yet or has it come up out on your website yet? Nope. It will probably post around February the 18th or 19th. The hammer will drop March the 2nd. So right now I'm doing the, you know, the 12 hour days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, y'all do it on Invaluable? What do y'all do? Or live auctioneers? We, we do live auctioneers and then Lee Little has their own platform. Okay. So if the listeners can sign up you know, at leadlittle.com. Okay. It will save them roughly 5% by bidding at Lee Little's platform as opposed to a third-party platform. Oh, that's nice. Good to know. I never even knew that. Uh, most people just do it through live auctioneers. Yeah, but, you know, Lee Little was, they were in, you know, the company was an innovator in software and uh, built their own platform before anybody else did. And it's, it's great. Well, all right. It was good to talk to you. Katie, good talk to you, too. Look forward to seeing you um, February 25th. Yeah, in a few weeks. Absolutely. Well, thanks again to our guest, Robbie Smith. Thanks to our producer, Chris Isaac. And thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.